My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show. Hello, friends and family from around the country and literally around the world. This is another episode with your host, me, David J. Harris, Jr. And today, friends, I have the honor and the privilege of having a very good friend of mine on the show with me today. Ken Harrison is the current president of Promise Keepers, something that a lot of you heard a lot of a lot about more in the 80s and 90s. Then it seemed to kind of fizzle out. Well, it's making a very strong comeback. Uh, we're going to get into that today, their event that's going to take place in Dallas, Texas at the AT&T Stadium is July 16th and 17th. But I want to get into uh, some things with Ken. He is a former LAPD officer in Compton, California, uh, one of the roughest places uh, in California currently. It wasn't always that way. But as a former officer, he got into real estate. He uh, did extremely well internationally and nationally in real estate, sold his company and could have retired, literally could have just spent the rest of his days, years, just fishing and doing all the things that men would like to do with all their time and with their family. Yet God tugged on his heart and uh, and prompted him to get back in action and actually gave him a pretty, a pretty strong word that he needed to get back in action. And that is the call and the hope for, I believe, so many men today. We need men. We need men that understand what it is to be a man, to be a husband, to be a father, to be a leader. And we especially need men that have faith and have a connection to God. I think that's the one biggest thing that's missing today in America. So without further ado, my special guest, Ken Harrison, my brother, how are you doing today? That's good to see you again. <laughs> Always good to see you. Always good to well. see you. So let's let's jump into this a little bit. Obviously, there's a heck of a lot going on right now in our country. We've got a crisis at the border. We've got a current administration that doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. Now we've got the the pipeline that's been hacked. We've got tens of thousands of people out of gas, and we've got rockets going off in the Middle East. It seems like the peace that we had just months ago uh, with the former administration is gone. Uh, and then obviously we've got the call for promise keepers. I want to get into all that today. So what is your take on what is taking place right now with this current administration? Was Biden somebody that you voted for and hoped he was going to do good for our country? <laughs> yeah, I like how you asked me that question like you don't know the answer. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of believers. America Great hat that you left uh, when we were together in Orlando that I ended up taking. You're like, please ship that back to me. You can keep that one. I've got plenty. <laughs> I think you do. You got an assortment of colors. I do. So I, what, I asked that because, and I, yes, I know the answer, but it saddens me, Ken, at how many believers, how many people that profess uh, as Christians voted for Joe. They're they're out there. You know they're out there. You know a lot of them. So yeah. tell me what were your what were your reasons uh, for for you know not voting for Joe or what what do you why do you feel like that took place? I'll give you a direct answer, honestly, David. I mean, you know, but uh, we are adamantly pro life at Promise Keepers, and people say there's a lot of issues to vote on. Not really. Murder is murder. Nothing else equals up to it. I was on a TV interview, and somebody asked me, well. Let me ask you a question. If there was one candidate who agreed with you on everything, but he was pro-abortion, 
and there was another candidate you disagreed with on everything, but he was pro-life. Who would you vote for? I said, the pro-life guy. Oh my gosh, how can you say that? He was so upset. And I said, because if you take every other issue and you stack them up, they don't equal murdering unborn babies. Yes. So um, I'm not saying you got to be a fan of, of Donald Trump. Certainly, I think the evangelical church should have done more. And, and we know guys, good friends who were in Trump's ear, who knew him well, who were really on him for some of the things he said. But the whole church should have stood up more against some of the things he said in an ingracious way because it was weakening the message that he really needed to be after. But man, to vote for one guy because he says against one guy because he says mean things when the other guy's saying, I'm going to make it as easy as possible to murder unborn babies. Yeah. You have your morals screwed up. Yeah. And that's the crux of the issue for me too, Ken. You know, I, I say if it's, if that's often somebody's moral compass that they think it's okay to murder, dismember innocent little babies in the womb, what else is wrong with their, with their moral compass? So I, I'm with you on that one. And that's uh, emphatically should be the number one issue for any believer, really any sane person that understands what takes place uh, with an abortion. They should absolutely not support anybody that's for that. Yet a lot of believers did. A lot of Catholics did. There were Catholics for Biden. There were Towards the end of his campaign, he even had evangelicals for Biden. Uh, I know they later came out with a statement and said, we really feel like we got used. Uh, how, do you, how do you think that that happened for so many people to be misled like that? When you're not clear on scripture, because one of the things that happens is when people are walking away from the Lord and when a culture is walking away from Christian values, the, one of the biggest things you see is, is justice is gone. The mm. protection of the oppressed is gone. You see people convicted for a crime of, say, standing out in front of their house with a couple of guns while a mob has just trespassed across their property and the police arrest the two people who were trying to protect themselves. You see a miscarriage of justice. And so... When you see people who aren't clear about murdering unborn babies, you see people who don't understand that God is a just God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God, but he's also a just God. We see a lot of visuals in the Bible, even in in Revelation, it talks about the martyrs who were killed because they stood up for Christ, crying out for justice, saying, how long, O Lord, will we have to wait for justice on the land? And so even in heaven, we know that there are departed souls who are crying out to God and God saying just a little bit longer, but pretty soon I'm going to rain my justice down. Mm. The whole point of revelation is to tell us what to do and to be active. And so a lot of Christians, they read revelation and go, Oh, well, it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket anyway. So I guess I'll just sit here and watch TV and wait to get raptured, man. That ain't the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you need to be out there spreading the word of God standing up for the poor and the oppressed, taking care of the needy, sharing the love of God everywhere you can. And so that's what we're about because we do know it's going to go to hell in a handbasket. So if we're people who truly love each other, then we need to be doing everything we can to rescue people from that judgment. And that is the loving thing to do. So when people say, well, how dare you tell me this or that? I want to do my own thing. Well, hang on. If I truly believe what I say, I believe that those who place their faith in Christ are going to go to heaven forever, and that those who have rejected the truth of Christ are going to go to hell forever, the only loving thing to do is to be out there graciously and lovingly telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the loving thing to do, even if it makes them hate me, um, abuse me, persecute me, or kill me. That's the message of the gospel. That's so good. It sounds like you're preaching. Ken sounds like you're preaching. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Me, I mean, it's like here we've got a a former LAPD officer turned uh, real estate mogul 
I mean, you sold your company to one of the largest international real estate developers or companies in the world. You could have retired, uh, probably had enough for kids, grandkids, great grandkids, and I have to worry about anything. And instead of just sitting in the back, instead of just retiring in Colorado and being able to fish and, you know, ski anytime you want to, why did you step back into the position that you're currently in now where you're actually imploring and trying to lead and champion men to get up, rise up and be their best self uh, and be who God created them to be? How'd that happen? Well, thanks for setting me up for the, cause you know, the story and it's a pretty cool story because um, amazing story. I was retired and I was happily retired. And everybody told me, Oh, you're type A, you're going to hate it. Dude, I freaking loved it. It was awesome. <laughs> Especially when you live in Colorado. I mean, um, I was skiing and hiking and fishing. And I mean, it was, it was a great time. And that was 2012 when I retired at 14. I was praying one day and really, really praying intensely. And sometimes people who really have a close relationship with the Lord will know, like you do, David, that so, there are times when he is so real. His presence is so real with you. And um, I had one of those moments with him where he suddenly just spoke to me and he said, Ken, um, and I'm not one of those guys that hears from God all the time. So this is a big deal in my life. Ken, I did not put you through everything I did and teach you everything I did so you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. When the Lord uses your name and says it like that, it's like, uh, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Whoo, man. My answer um, if anybody wants to think I'm like some great saint, my answer was, I don't know. You heard God speaking to you, just so we're all clear. Was it audible or was it that it was so loud in your spirit, you knew it was God because it wasn't coming from you? That it was like he was talking to me, but I, it would not have been audible. If I had a tape recorder, you wouldn't have heard it. But it was in my head, like right, like when he says Ken, it was like, you know, stunning, yeah. like, clear. Yes, I've Only had that happen. Life has it been that clear? Yeah, I've had that happen where I, I heard him say that. my name, David, and it stops you in your tracks. It's like it's audible. It's as loud. You know, obviously, I, I, you understand, for people that may not get this, um, a way to maybe understand it is, I believe that we are spiritual beings, and we're, we're wrapped in this meat suit, right? But we live in a spiritual dimension, right? There's a spirit realm all around us. Oh, it's like you've got more meat than the rest of <laughs> not all in the right places all the time but uh, <laughs> 250 pounds of meat right there man <laughs> so in the spirit realm it's like god says your name ken and your spirit picks that up it's nothing audible because this is the natural realm it was that loud for me is that is that how it was for you yeah yeah like wow. um it was stunning for me and you come from a different christian background than i do yours is a little bit more accepting of that mine is the very conservative side where god talking to you isn't what people talk about every day god, mm. god was like boom and so when he said are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as as, as you were for yours and then it came with a stern warning of be careful of your answer it will cost you everything oh I, I just and i'll tell you my honest answer to the lord i said i'm tired of being sued I'm tired of firing people. I'm tired of being stabbed in the back. I'm tired of being gossiped about. I'm tired of people. That's what I said to the Lord. Wow. And which is what you want to say to the God that was tortured to death for years in my sin. So you're whining and complaining. You're like, here's my little list. While he's like, uh, really? 
So, but I, this is all, it's all beautiful. And I'm glad, I'm so glad that you also brought up that we're from, we were raised up in two completely different aspects of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And there's groups that some are very welcoming and believe that God speaks to us. He speaks to us now. Uh, we can hear him. And then some are just like, that's not even in the equation or that was for back then. That was for a different time period. It's different. You are more in that vein of belief. Yes. Where God doesn't really speak to us now. That's for other people, or it was for it was for the apostles, and then God speaks to you. And those are that's a very s- strong word. It sounds like three words there, mm-hmm. with a warning in the end at the end of it. And you still didn't know whether you wanted to say yes. I joke around with people sometimes, and I said, you know, when God first spoke to me, I said back, "God, I'm a Baptist. You're not supposed to talk to me." sorry to all the baptists out there but hey if you're out there you're listening watching and you're part of that vein where your church doesn't talk about that here is somebody that understands what you're talking about what you're thinking where your heart's at and and he's saying to you yeah well it happened so how long did it take you to make up your mind uh, to give a, a direct answer two hours two hours Two hours. I wrestled with the Lord and he, um, I mean, I was on my knees in the dark in my closet, which is, I'm not so holy that I always pray in my closet. It happened to me in my closet this time. And um, uh, he showed me, he said, that's okay. When I was whining to him and he said, but you'll miss my full blessing. And I had a vision of one side of my life live for myself. I was looking for big ranches and steamboat springs and I'd, I'd be able to go up there and ski and all that stuff. And it was like, I'll, you'll live your little life and 50 years later, you're going to die and you're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to see what you could have done. Had you get laid down your life for me and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth mm-hmm. of, a, of a deep regret of a wasted life. That yeah. was the overarching thing. And I, and I, and I wrestled with him and finally said, you know, Lord, you know, the answer before you came. I mean, I, you said that we have to lay down our life for you every day, pick up a cross mm-hmm. and follow you. And, I will lay down my life for you. I just really don't want to. I mean, I was that honest, you know. Again, if you're if you're God's gonna talk to you, you might as well be honest to him with him. Absolutely. Anyway. And so I, then, I think, I think, I, think I think there was a guy named Peter that was a little bit like that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he, he was so open and honest and uh, aggressive and type A that at one point Jesus had to say, Get behind me, Satan. He called him Satan. <laughs> Well, my flesh, you know, I'm I'm a Peter like guy. I mean, and, and then when it all doesn't work out, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. That's, right. Last yeah. three years was a big waste of time. And then and then here's Jesus out there. Um so uh when I got done wrestling with God and I said I will lay down my life, he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. So the funny yeah. thing was after all that wrestling, he's like, Oh, by the way, you're not even ready yet. You're not even worthy of my call. What more to do on you? So that's that's wow. The, and so I actually I, waste, I waited around for four more years. And wow. it's funny because actually, and I never told you this, David, uh, but um, I got tired of waiting because I knew this call now. I've got this call. Mm. And my wife is very prophetic, which, again, is very inconvenient for a Baptist. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting mixture. and she said to me, Ken, I've been praying for you. And the, I just keep getting one word and it's wait, wait, mm. wait, wait, which in my journey with Christ, I've learned is his favorite word. Uh, wait, the devil's favorite word is hurry. Uh, by yes. the, the devil loves to make us anxious. The Holy Spirit loves to say, chill out, son. We'll do this in my time when you're ready. Oh, you're you're preaching to the choir. You don't know how many times I would get a word from the Lord or I'd get a revelation 
from God and just feel like that revelation was for right now. And I'd take off and run. And later in life, after that happened several times, God showed me, he's all, you know, every time you took off and ran, I was still back at the starting line waiting for you to finish so that we could do it together. He, the the beautiful picture that I continually get from God is he's a father. He's a good father Mm -hmm. and he wants to co-labor. He wants to work with his kids in this realm, this natural realm to create something. And that's a beautiful invitation that we get to actually co-create something with the creator of the universe. And when we're doing it with him, well, it lasts. We go off and do it on our own. And yeah, you're left to your own, uh, your own abilities, which I, I'd rather not be left to that. All right. So continue this, this story is, is yeah, so beautiful. Give my little sermonette here on that, you know, Moses, people forget, you know, Moses was a prince of Egypt. That means he had the best education. He would have been trained in hand-to-hand combat from the time he was about three years old and everything, wrestling and, and, uh, and hand-to-hand combat, all that stuff. At 40 years old, when he goes out and he beats that Egyptian to death, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how to kill somebody. See, Moses feels the call of the Lord on his life, and he gets tired of waiting for him. So he goes out at 40 and beats a man to death. And then he goes out the next day. Why is he going out the next day? Because he's waiting for the Israelites all to say, oh, you, you're so awesome. We're going to follow yeah. you everywhere. And instead, they reject him, and he's mortified. And he flees Pharaoh. What has happened to Moses? 40 years. Now, remember, the first thing he does, he goes out to the well, and he sees a bunch of ruffians trying to rob these women, and he freaking beats the crap out of all them. He's a stud. Moses is a man. He And, yeah. the, and the, these women all get rescued by Moses. They go home and they tell their father-in-law or their father Jethro, hey, this guy just came and just kicked the butt of all these guys. And Jethro's like, well, where is he? And they bring him back here and have him marry one of my daughters, you know? Yeah. But for 40 years, he walks around in the desert by himself. For 40 years, all his kids are born then. And you can just imagine, you know, 39 years into this, his kids are all like, you know, dad's a shepherd. That's like the lowest thing you could be in the ancient world. And and Moses is like, well, you know, your dad was a big deal back in the day. You know, back in the day, I was, and they're like, okay, you smelled like sheep crap from the time we've ever known you. When Moses is 80 and he sees that burning bush, God goes on for two chapters about all the great things he's going to do through Moses. So this is the Moses who knew he had a call of the Lord on his life, who tried to push it through in his pride. And then now after 40 years in the school of prayer with the Lord, he's now so humble that when God tells him all the great things he's going to do with Moses, Moses's reply is pick somebody else. Yeah. I mean, it's like, dude, really? God, he's talking to you from a bush and you're like, "Eh, I'm not worthy. Right. So. You know, I had to go through that moment. It wasn't 40 years in the desert. It was it was four years in Colorado. But um, I did actually. A little different. I can be a little childish sometimes, you know. And uh, so I I got tired of hearing the word wait from my wife. So I grabbed my little New Testament with the Psalms in the back. Mm-hmm. And I climbed up to the top of a mountain and I, at, at dawn. And I told the Lord, I'm going to sit here until you speak to me and tell me what my call is. Because, you know, we went through all this. It's now been like two years. And I mean, I'm just tired of waiting. And I'm going to open up this Bible and I'm going to wait until you talk to me. And if I'm here all day, then I'm not leaving until you talk to me. That's what I said to God. Hmm. So I just like opened up the Bible and I swear to you, I looked down at the first thing I saw was Psalm 27, 14. And it says, wait on the Lord, be patient and strong and wait on the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, you have such a sense of humor. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'll tell you what, son, we're not going to wait all day. I'm just going to give you the answer right now. Now go walk back down the mountain, have a cup of coffee and chill out, man. <laughs> So that, that that was my little story about how I went from, um, and I also want to say, this is important, you know, at 45 years old in 2012, I was able to <clears throat> retire 
and do exactly what the world says a good Christian man should do. Mm. None. I was coaching my son's football teams. I was a nice guy. I didn't cheat on my wife. I went to church three out of four Sundays. Um, I was doing nothing to change the world, nor did I have a plan to do anything to change the world. I would watch Fox News like everybody else and whine and complain about how bad the world was. Mm. That is not God's plan for his people. His plan is to get in the game and to start fighting, and it will cost you. And in my case, you know, as you know, David, I've been getting death threats, a lot of them lately. Um, yeah. People all tell me how they want to kill me and everything, and I've been kind of chuckling, thinking, well, I'm not your normal minister. I'll take a little bit more killing than most guys. <laughs> I, had, I had the baddest guys on the planet trying to kill me when I was on the LAPD. So, um, but it will yeah, cost like a machine gun preacher. He called us to be comfortable. He called us to get busy, and you're gotten yeah. busy. Look what the Lord's calling you called you to be. I mean, you and I, nobody ever heard of us four years ago. No. Now you and I are, are here at the top of culture, making a massive difference. And I'll tell you, Jesus says that if you're doing it right, if you're following me fully, you will be hated. The world will hate you because you're not of this world, Jesus says. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't have any enemies, then you don't matter because mm -hmm. you don't do nothing to, to warn enemies. And so we need to be gracious and loving and humble and unify the body. But those who hate Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians that we are the, the smell of life to those going to life and the stench of death to those going to, to death. Mm. The people who have rejected Christ and will continue to reject him, they hate you when you stand for him. So yeah. you'll know, am I really making a difference for Christ? But, you know, I, I say this all the time. You, they say you can judge a man by his friends. I say you can judge a man by his enemies. Who are your enemies and why are they your enemies? That'll tell you a lot about yourself. The people who are telling me they want to kill me, I'm happy with that. Those are the right kind of people that uh, are my enemies. Well, and I'm sure you've gotten all the things when you come out, you're vocal, you're on the, you know, a, ma a massive platform, you're given a massive platform. USA Today, I think, is is writing hit pieces on you. Uh, you get the, uh, you know, you're a racist, you know, you're uh, a homophobe, you're all these negative things. And here you were an LAPD officer in Compton, probably worked with a lot of black folks. Uh, and, uh, you know, but you can't, you can't say that you can't try to defend yourself. I, I love actually how you did defend yourself. Uh, we'll even just defend your position. So, uh, a little bit about promise keepers, promise keepers. Uh, well, well before I get into that, before I get into that, I, I wanted you to share the, uh, uh, yeah, I'll share this. And then I want you to share the story of how you came to be the president. You USA today actually just, uh, what May 5th, a week ago. Uh, they came out, don't use Dallas Cowboys name, AT&T Stadium to mainstream anti-trans hate. So they came after you. They came after, they went after the AT&T Stadium. They're trying to shut down your event, Promise Keepers event that's happening in July 16th and 17th, which was supposed to happen last year. Uh, I'm honored to be speaking at this one. It was, uh, was a part of the digital one last year. But it's supposed to be last year, COVID breaks loose. Everything's going crazy. So now, finally, we're going to have an opportunity to fill the AT&T Stadium. Yeah. And you have this hit piece of an article come out at you, labeling you as anti-trans, uh, your trans hate, and all this uh, just bashing you. It was totally just disgusting article. What was your response? Summarize your response to this guy that's going off on you with all this hate. And then, and then, we'll, and then I want you to segue into... Uh, then we'll go into how you actually became the president of Promise Keepers. Yeah, I mean, he, he demanded that I apologize and crawl back in a hole. And uh, we keep doing that. Every time anybody stands up for something, the next day they see him on camera with their head bowed going, I, I apologize if I offend anybody. And yeah, I'm like, canceled. 
Yeah, I don't apologize. I meant exactly what I said. I'm standing up for God's word. And we basically said we stand for the biblical definition of male and female and the biblical definition of marriage. And sometimes we stand with culture and sometimes we don't. But it is our freedom of religion to do so. Yes. And, um, and then I further went on. Pure and simple. What you're saying is hate speech is exactly the opposite. We're saying everybody's welcome. Everybody's free to come and worship Christ with us. Our, our arms are open to everybody no matter what. You've completely misconstrued the gospel in your message. Uh, hey, at least he printed it. I'll, I'll give that to him. Well, I'm sure it probably did well uh, for for just getting. It's like all press is good press. It gets it gets eyes on you. They get to hear and read what you uh, what you wrote. Anybody that wants to see that article, you can go to USA Today and probably just type uh, in their search "Promise Keepers." You can read it for yourself. Uh, but you handled it. So I want to get into um, how you became the president of Promise Keepers. Uh, I got to do a quick word from today's sponsor, though, and I'll be right back to you, Ken. Friends, if you love this show, if you love the guests that I get to have on and all the commentary that I give you guys, one of the greatest ways you can support me is by getting something nice for yourself from MyPillow.com. Mike Lindell is under massive attack. He's launched Frank speech. He's lost, he's lost 25 big box stores, but I love all of his stuff. Uh, I love his sheets. I love his mattress topper probably the most. It's absolutely so amazing. It's like having a brand new mattress. And uh, I've got his robe. I've got his slippers. Find something over there at MyPillow.com and use the code BIGBOX. We're trying to send a message to these big box retailers that we're not shopping there. We're going direct to Mike. So go over to MyPillow.com. Find yourself something nice for you, yourself, or a friend and use that code BIGBOX for the best savings on Mike's store. All right, Ken, let's get into this. How did you become the president of Promise Keepers? <laughs> By the way, I, I like, I dig the, the Mike Lindell stuff, man. You got the you robe. You have his stuff too? You have his robe? I do. I have his robe. Yeah, oh, I've got his slip. I got it. Have you gotten his new slippers yet? No. Oh, they're amazing. I've got, got uh, he's got he's three different guy, types. I've got them all. Really, really good dude. In fact, yeah, I think we met him at the same time. We were at that same event together down in Miami. Yep. Yep. I did. I met him there too. Yeah. And then uh, met him at a Liberty University event. Uh, Jack uh, Brewer introduced us. And we've got, you know, kind of a lot of similar history. So, uh, yeah, we just we've become good friends, kind of like you and I have. But yeah, of his stuff, I'll make sure I get you some. I'll get you his slippers sent. What the slippers, man? Yeah. All right. <laughs> They're coming. Um, how did I get? So uh, essentially, I started. It's funny how the Lord works. So he'll always put relationship with each one of us first before his plans. And so as he's doing his plans, he's still working on us. He's still, you know, David, as he's using you to change culture um, in a great way, he's still working on you. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we always grow in the pain. Well, God was doing stuff that I couldn't see at the time. And so I was getting connected all over the place with men coming to me and saying, teach me how to be a man. And because mm -hmm. I, I have an incredible marriage and three incredible kids who walk with the Lord and uh, people would look 28. 28 years married? 30. 30 now. 30. Man. Yeah. And um, so I realized, well, I can't teach these men how to how to be men until I teach them how to be disciples of Jesus. Because the, the very foundation of being a man is learning how to die to your rights to yourself. Because really, if you think about being a man that is doing whatever it takes to provide for those who depend on me, um, standing up for justice, um, working hard. Those are selfless acts, and those selfless acts come from dying to my rights to myself. A child, a boy, says, oh, no, I'm going to look at porn and play video games and blame everybody else for my problems. A man yeah. says, I'll take responsibility for myself. So 
what is what is the, the very foundation of being a disciple of Jesus? Death to self, death to rights to self. When you become a real man, you don't have to try to be a man. You just are one. When you see an, uh, yeah. something wrong, you just stand up. You, you find out who you are in those moments where you weren't really sure what was going to happen. Something happens and, and you react and you realize, uh, you know, children act one way and men act another. So teaching those guys how to be disciples. And one day a guy walked into uh, my discipleship study and said he was Raleigh Washington, the, the head of Promise Keepers. And I said, Promise Keepers? That's still a thing? So <laughs> backing up to what Promise Keepers was, yeah. um, Promise Keepers was a massive movement in the 90s, actually the biggest movement in the history of the church. They sold out in one year 27 NFL stadiums. Wow. And they had the biggest gathering in the history of Washington, D.C. They had 1.4 million men come in October of 1997 to the National Mall. It's still, there's a picture of it at the headquarters of the park police there, when you walk in, oh, stand in the gap. A lot of people call it the Million Man March. Mm-hmm. And when those men left, 1.4 million men, you know, David, there was not a gum wrapper left on the floor. When, wow. when you have all these environmentalist groups and everything else go to these, these DC events, um, there's just tra- tons of trash everywhere. Yeah. Now, they left it cleaner than when they got there. It's been the wow. temple of what happens when Christian men get together. So... Um, Raleigh comes in leading this what was once an amazing huge ministry which is now nothing somebody put once put it you know in the 90s Promise Keepers was an 800 pound gorilla now it's a 40 pound monkey and that was <laughs> not the case so Raleigh asked me to come on the board um, no Raleigh I don't want any part of a dead organization when he finally did get me to come on the board I saw what a mess it was and Raleigh wanted me to become the chairman of the board and um, I actually took Promise Keepers over to close it. So I run a large foundation called Waterstone. Mm-hmm. I brought Promise Keepers into Waterstone and told our attorneys and CPAs, go figure out what's going on in their books and close this thing. And so that was the whole point. And then I actually had the board call scheduled for 10 a.m. to close Promise Keepers forever. And that's when God got a hold of me in a miraculous way that morning and said, remember that conversation we had four years ago? Whoo! And I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you take you take over something that looks like it's dying, it's dead, probably in the red, I don't know, but sounds uh, like the books were not looking good. You take it over into your company in order to probably make it look better than it was, pay things, and then shut it down. Is that pretty much what you were going to do? That's, that was your plan. Up, we put up every debt. I mean, Promise Keepers owes Tony Evans $5,000 from eight years earlier. I mean, that's the kind of things that were on the books. We wow. closed, paid off every debt. I was just jealous for the name of the Lord. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot this dog, mm-hmm. uh, sick dog right now. And then God said, no, you're, no, you're not. This dog is going to be another champion. Yeah. Isn't that funny? How Lord works. That's so good. That's that right there. That should be a message to anybody listening, everybody listening or watching. Uh, it's just, you don't know what God's going to do and you don't know how he's going to do it. And most of the time, like his word says, his ways are not our ways. His <laughs> thoughts are not our thoughts. We can have something all tidy and ready to, to do this, that, or the other. And then he steps in and it's like, uh, no, no, I have plans for that. So he steps in, he lets you know that he does not want you to shut promise keepers down uh, again. Go ahead. Finish the rest. Tell us the rest. Well, then I started launching into this whole new world. I'd never been to a Promise Keepers event. I mean, I was on the LAPD when uh, when Promise Keepers was huge. And I remember somebody asked me to come to an event at the LA Coliseum. Um, and I said, uh, 
<laughs> I said, what is Promise Keepers? He's like, well, it's a bunch of Christian men that get together at the stadium. Everybody cries and repents and hugs each other. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out. So uh, it's kind of ironic that the Lord used me to bring it back. Um, and I will tell you, even when you have the call so clear, like I just laid it out, it's always clear in retrospect. But when you're walking through it, it doesn't feel that way. And so there was a, a time at which a few months in, I started seeing how big this was. The old Promise Keepers guys started coming back. Some of the speakers were calling me. Um, you know, all these famous pastors and leaders are giving, are calling me. And um, I'm starting to realize what this is. Like, whoa, this is a big deal. And I started to like, do I really know what I'm doing, Lord? Like, And I remember that was the second time when God talked to me so clearly. And it was a very clear statement. I was right where I'm at right now in my office. And all of a sudden, God said in that same clear voice, it seems like it's coming right from the back of your head. He said, I've been preparing you for this your whole life. Whoo! <laughs> yeah. you know the power of that. It's like, and now I realize that he, that he was. I mean, you think about the LAPD. I mean, I was a cop during the Rodney King stuff, um, the Crips and Bloods wars, the stuff I saw, um, the shootings I was in. I mean, it was incredibly violent. I mean, it, it was, I used to draw my gun five, six times a day, I would get in two or three foot pursuits a day, you know, vehicle suits, pursuits, 110, 120 miles an hour, um, at least once a week. I mean, it was a war zone. Bullets going off, shot off more shot at more times than I can remember. Um, it was the most intense police thing that you can think of. And that was all in preparation for dealing with the church right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, I'm telling you, that was my, that's my point. And, and then business, you know, I learned in business pretty quick that the bad guys don't all wear do rags and carry 32 autos. Um, bad guys often wear $5,000 suits. Mm. And I learned the wickedness and the evil and the greed of people. And I was very, you know, I've been safe since I was five, walked with the Lord my whole life. And so I was extremely naive in many ways. I mean, the wickedness of the human heart is something that just never ceases to baffle me. Jealousy and anger and bitterness and um, people pointing the finger at other people. And I'm often amazed that God loves us, you know, when, when you see what we're capable of. But, um, you know, go, going through business, global business, you know, dealing with different cultures, you know, because I was running a, con a company that had, um, you know, we were in countries all over the world. Um, so there was a real preparation and then a, a deep understanding of commercial real estate and how that all works has been hugely beneficial both to Waterstone and to Promise Keepers. And so it's been pretty amazing uh, ride. And I have realized. And lastly, you know, what I learned during the Rodney King days is that just because you stand for right and justice doesn't mean everyone's going to love you. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had lots of people trying to kill us back in those days. And you know, the most yeah. wicked were the press, man. I mean, people ask me about the South Central LA in those days. And I always tell them, you know, it was 90% of really, really good people. I would say the people of South Central Los Angeles are some of the best people in the world. They are church-going people, family people, amazingly loving, amazingly neighborly. Everyone knew their neighbors and took care of them. We used to fight on who could work on Sunday afternoons because everybody would come home from church on Sunday afternoon and have barbecues, and they'd run out on the street when they'd see us driving down the street. Come on, officers, you got to come back and have some, have some barbecue. I mean, it was like that. It was not like the press depicted it. Yeah. But it was 90% of those people were held hostage by 10% of these violent, horrific young men who were raised without fathers and who were really well funded by the drug cartels. And uh, we used to, you know, come getting off work at seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning and work all night. And I'd see women, you know, scrubbing the sidewalks with the bucket, scrubbing the blood off the sidewalk from in front of their, their house where somebody's gone wow. down the night before. And we would see crime scene tape. 
with dead bodies, you know, all around them and 15, 16 year old boys who'd shot each other dead and the women outside just bawling and crying. And so you know, as a young man seeing all that every day, it does uh, has some positives and some negatives to, to your soul, mostly negatives. Yeah. But, you know, as you grow and you grow in Christ and you mature, you begin to learn those lessons. And one of the things you, you learn to do is um, to not have a weak de- demeanor. Right. You mm. you learn to have a bit of a spine. And that's why God was saying, I'm preparing you for this, because when they come after you and say that I'm going to kill you, you are going to say, no, no, no. Nothing you're ever going to do, no matter how many bullets you throw, no matter how much you say that I was offensive or whatever, will never stop me from telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. Wow. No matter who you are, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter how horrific things you've done in your life, Jesus died for you and he will forgive your sins if you'll just put your faith in him. Yeah. Give up your rights to yourself, repent of your sins. He will put his presence in you and change you from the inside out. And that's the message. And ain't nobody going to stop that message, at least not for me. So good. Again, I, I just I just keep being reminded of the fact that you're, you, you were wildly successful in real estate. I have no idea how much you sold it for, but obviously so much that you would just be, could have been set up for life again, probably a few generations. Yet you felt that call to get back in action to, and God pulled you, pulled on your heart to get up to not stay where you're at. Now, you know, being a coach for your kids is great. Being active locally is great. Being a good father, husband, all those things are great. But I think there's a call for, for especially right now in this hour in our country, while there's such an attack on masculinity, there's such an attack on the church. There's an attack, you know, even from COVID, from churches being shut down and a lot of pastors that are bowing to that whole thing and saying, oh, we need to be afraid of the you know, the virus that has a 99.7, you know, seven, uh, uh, you know uh, rate of actually of, of uh, you're going to be OK, uh, 0.03 or whatever percent or 0.07 mortality rate. And that's there's a lot of issues behind that as well. There's an attack right now. And right now, more than ever, we need men, strong men, Christian men to stand up or men that just understand they're missing something uh, that they know that there's more. They believe that God has more for them and they just don't know, uh, but they don't know which way to go. So I'm so honored and thankful that you said yes, right? You still could have lived out your life, fished and all that other stuff. But I think the true riches and treasures that God has for you and for your family, your lineage, uh, it's going to come from what you're doing, inviting men into that higher place, into that, uh, that that next level of who they are and who God created them to be. Uh, do you get into any of that in your book? I want to cover your book too, because I know that you've got a book out there that uh, uh, I think people would absolutely be blessed by it. Let me get my mouse over here. Uh, I, I love the title, Rise of the Servant Kings, what the Bible says about being a man. Uh, you can get that on, Am- and, and on Amazon. That's You can get it on Audible. Uh, share with us a little bit about what a person will get from that book and why you wrote that. Yeah, it's funny that the publisher is really big on that book because actually every every chapter starts with a story. Most of them are LA cop stories or some pretty personal stories. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give you guys a, kind of a flavor of what I'm talking about when I talk about how to put an imprint on your life. One of the stories talks about um, where we had a call of a, a girl, five-year-old girl who said it hurt when she peed. And so we went, It was uh, we were just starting work. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. My partner and I go over to wherever she was and 
basically in our investigation, we realized that she's been getting raped by her father, her uncle, and her father's best friend. Um, and, and, and I'm just telling you, to get a five-year-old girl, because you have to have her describe the crime to you, to describe sexual intercourse to you, um, you just don't want to ever have to be there, man. Uh, so she had gonorrhea. So that takes quite a few hours to get up through all that. So then we bring her back to her mother. And um, when we bring her back to her mom, that would normally be the end of it because the mom and the dad are separated. So she's safe. And now we would write a report, give it to the detectives, and the detectives would do their thing. However, as we give her back to her mom and now have to explain to her mom what just happened, imagine those tears. Again, as a policeman, you're just, you're just getting hit like this every day, every day, every day. So sometimes, you know, people say, you know, geez, you know, big city cops, you know, they can be kind of mean or bitter. Give them a break. Man, you have no idea what they see day in and day out. And so now you're you're holding the mom while she's in tears because she's just learned this horrific, I mean, imagine the news of a mom hearing that. Um, but as we're going to leave now, several hours have gone by. Mom says, I'm worried about my son. He's, he's two years old. Well, why? He's with the dad. Boom. Boom. Where's dad? Where's he live? He lives about three miles away. Okay. So now we have a child in danger. So now we're not giving reports to the detectives. We're going to get the child. Yeah. So as we're driving over and I was single at this time, I was really young. I was 22, 23 years old, but my partner um, he had a five-year-old daughter who looked mm -hmm. a lot like the girl that we had just dropped off. And I didn't, I was too young to really think what this was doing to my partner's head. He was a big, huge bodybuilder guy. And um, as we walked up the stairs to this shanty apartment building, I walked up, I was first draw guns and I kicked the door down and it was such a cheap door. The whole door just exploded, you know, as I, as I ran in and I came in with my gun out and he's there's, it's a, a studio apartment. There's a bed and it's the dad and the boy in the bed. And they both jump up and they're both naked. And I holstered my gun. It took me about three steps. I holstered my gun. I went over and I grabbed him by the throat. And I went to hit him like this. And as I swung, all of a sudden this massive form of my partner swung me back. My partner was left-handed and he had his nine millimeter out. And he put it up to the guy's head and he started to pull the trigger. The kid, I remember seeing the kid out of the corner of my eye standing there staring at us with his mouth open, right? Two years old. And we had, were trained, very highly trained on the LAPD. It's the best trained department in the world by far. And so we're trained not to be killed with our own guns. And so we would train all the time about how to stop someone from, from shooting you with your own gun, which is you jam your finger behind the trigger. So when you, when you jam your finger behind the trigger, they, they can't pull to engage the hammer and therefore right. shoot you, right? So I do, I do that. As soon as he, I, and I register the kid, I jam my finger behind the trigger of the gun. He turns to me and says, I need to blow this guy's brains out. And I'm like, dude, no. And I'm trying to get his gun away from him. So we got to go down to the ground and we're punching each other. My partner and I are fighting for his gun because I'm afraid he's so out of his mind. His eyes are crazed mm. um, that if he if he gets the gun away from him and shoots that dude, he may shoot me and the kid, too. I mean, because he's that's murder. Right. So we end up just, you know, punching each other. We do that. What's that? The, he, you're saying the suspect, if he got the gun, that he no, shoot I mean, my partner. I mean, if my partner executed a guy in front of me, he's so crazy. I was afraid he's going to shoot me. Oh, I got you. Okay. I wasn't sure if that's what you were saying, just because that's that's the place he was at. If he had to try to clean it up or whatever. Yeah, he, my gosh. He was, he was he, 5150 is what we called it. He was out of his mind. My partner's he wow. is gone. And so uh, we we're fighting with each other. And I, I swear, I don't think anybody ever rooted for me in a fight as much as that dude was waiting, rooting for me to get that gun away from my partner. Yeah, I bet. 
Well, all of a sudden, about 30 seconds later, we go and we hear, all of a sudden we hear freeze. And we look up and our lieutenant is standing in the doorway. And it's like one in the morning now. And lieutenants, they don't leave the station. They're, they're watch commanders. They stay in the station. So our lieutenant just happens to have decided to go for a drive and see what we were doing and heard that we were at this apartment doing this arrest. So he thought he'd show up and see what we were doing. He sees the two officers on the ground fighting over a gun. Wow. And my partner was so stunned by it. I was able to rip the gun out of his hand. We're also trying to rip a gun from somebody. And I slid it over the lieutenant. And um, next day, he asked for a new partner. I asked for a new partner. We never talked to each other again. Wow. And so um, each story, each chapter of the book starts off with these different stories. Some of them are very intense, but they give really godly truths about how to be a man. The chapters are short mm. um, to keep it really interesting, but they're very deep. They're very deep truths about scripture, about being a man. But I, you know, it's a pretty, I mean, the, the publisher, which is a Christian publisher, you know, said, geez, I mean, this is a pretty intense book for a Christian book. And I'm like, yeah, I think yeah. we need that. We, we're, we're sick and tired of skinny jeans and fog machines and, <laughs> let's let's get real so this book is real yeah well for the the book again for those that uh want to get it because after hearing that story i can't wait to to read all of it uh i, I to get one you need to send me a signed one uh please <laughs> rise, of, rise of the servant kings um what the bible says about being a man get that in your bookstore christian bookstores uh or audible if you like to listen to it uh, I always say support your local Christian bookstore if you can get it there over Bezos and Amazon. But however you got to get it, get that book. Uh, all right, let's close out with Promise Keepers, July 16th and 17th. What are people going to experience, Ken? Dude, I'm telling you. So, I, again, I've not been in a, to an event ever, but heard from so many men in tears about the power of hearing 80,000 guys singing Amazing Grace or how great they are the power of feeling like I'm not alone. And you've been in that stadium, you're in a video with us, yes. empty and just seeing what it's gonna be like. The greatest preachers in the world. I didn't go out and get the most famous preachers in the world, we could have. Mm. We got the best preachers in the world. And so amazing preachers, Sammy Rodriguez, A.R. Bernard, Carter Conlin, um, General Jerry Boykin of Delta Force, um, Nick Wojcik, really amazingly powerful speakers. It's a Friday night from six to nine, and then a Saturday from nine to two, um, you can go to promisekeepersevents.com, promisekeepersevent.com, no S, so promisekeepersevent.com. Okay. Get your tickets. Um, as you know, the Rangers baseball stadium is adjacent to the football stadium. There's a, a water park. There's Six Flags Amusement Park. It's a great place to bring your sons. It mm. will be appropriate. So as long as your sons can stand still to hear all this powerful music and preaching, you know, bring them at yeah, 10, 11, whatever old years old, Yeah, you know, make it a man trip. And I would say to women too, I, I do want to say this, David, um, yes, some women have been really hurt by the church and they've been hurt by the complementarian idea of women need to submit and all this sort of thing. We are not teaching um, women how they're supposed to behave. We're teaching men how to behave. And so 45% mm. of the tickets bought to promise keepers in the nineties was by women to send their husbands and, and their sons. Wow. The press is going to, tell you how awful we are that that just comes to the territory i'm telling you we're teaching men to be humble gentle leaders of their home proactive in their lives of their kids and to cherish their wives we're not there telling men about how their wives need to submit or any of that garbage we're there to tell men how men need to be and so i would say women the stories we have of men coming back from the back in the day falling on their knees and saying i am so sorry for the mm -hmm. husband i didn't know 
and marriages being changed, kids seeing their dads go from alcoholics or um, addicts or workaholics to mm -hmm. loving fathers. I mean, the, the testimonies are so much. And I would just say, women, the best thing you can do for Father's Day is get a ticket for your husband, your sons. Men, if you have means, bring your neighbors, bring mm -hmm. people with you, because we got to stop this epidemic of the friendless American male. We got to yeah. get together as men and have real friends and have moments. So fly to Dallas, drive into Dallas, um, make it a whole trip. Go to a go to a Rangers baseball game and come join us July 16th and 17th. It's going to be amazing. And if there's people out there going, I really, really want to go, but I can't afford it. We are simulcasting it so you can get your local church to get it and show it in your church with other men. We will have scholarships. And so if you really go. I really want to be there, but I can't afford the money. We'll, we'll take care of you. You get a hold of us at, at promisekeepers.org, and we will get you a scholarship ticket so that you can be there. So good, brother. So good. Well, you mentioned all those amazing speakers. And uh, is Victor speaking? Not this year. We got to, right. you, Victor, we got to have some of these uh, major Trump supporters, like in a couple of years when things have faded away. I got enough people hating <laughs> me already there, Harris. <laughs> don't take my spot i got a spot right you got a spot yeah all right i want to show this video this uh this was amazing this was uh it gives you a piece and a glimpse i think the the for eighty thousand men to be in a stadium like you said all singing amazing grace singing together laughing crying learning growing together i think it's going to be absolutely life-changing for so many men women if you're watching get your tickets uh, for your husband, brothers, sons, whoever it is in your family that you love, that you want to see have an encounter with God, here is a little glimpse of uh, what Promise Keeper is going to look like. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved Rage like me. What if I told you after my son died, I thought about killing myself? Would you be shocked or pity me or judge? What if I told you I know I'm not the only one? What if you knew you weren't alone? What if this world was filled with the voices of men who stopped denying their pain just to make others feel comfortable? Let them squirm in the awkwardness of your reality. So what? What if we stopped worrying about what others thought to maintain unspoken rules we never agreed to? For what? What if we were honest liars, right? Well-built, but worn down, winsome, but weak. What if you could be honest? How sometimes you wish you would have married somebody else. So you watch porn what if we really had freedom of speech what if you stopped what if you stopped overtelling your successes and undertelling your failures what if you stand up what if you stand up even if you have to go alone and screamed into the shattered mirror of your existence enough is enough what if you stand up and thousands stood with you proclaiming the promise of that kind of love what if what if became what now because i'm about that life being fully known and yet fully loved where everyone can feel safe running resting living in his amazing grace I was was lost 
somebody could watch and listen to that and not feel uh, ignited to take to take that step to say yes to get your tickets and get to the promise keepers the date in there obviously that was I pulled that video that was from last year the date is July 16th and 17th uh, coming up in just a couple of months Ken I am so excited to for that event to be a part of it and excited that you said yes to God and uh, and are are leading this movement of men coming back into who they should be. I know it's going to be a powerful, life-changing event for so, so many. I, I think you should have gotten an Oscar for that that performance you had. <laughs> <laughs> it was that good, huh? Yeah. I want to say uh, one thing, though, that's pretty cool. Think about this. Now, everybody watching this right now. Mm. The world is wondering what happened to American men. Like, mm. seriously, they're, they're wondering, like, what's going on? And, and think about if you lived in a different country. Think about if you lived in Poland or, you know, India or uh, Korea. And you see what's going on in America with all of our nuclear weapons, the fact that we control like 40% of the world's economy and all that stuff. And you go, what, what in the heck is happening? Hmm. This event that we're doing will be the first major event in the world after COVID. And it will be American men coming together to worship Jesus. That global news story. Imagine the forces of evil, what they're going to do to try to destroy this, shut it down, misrepresent it every way they can. Yeah. Um, it, they, they really are threatened by what's about to happen. And so I would say to you, fill the stadium. You fill the stadium. Get guys, get 20 guys, 25 guys, go to your pastor and say, what are we doing to get a thousand men to that stadium? And I will tell you, David, you don't know this yet, but Gateway Church in Dallas just bought 10,000 tickets. Woo. It's a big deal. Wow. This is a big deal that's happening. And yes, so I invite everybody to come be a part of it um, if you can, because this is going to be, I think, the moment when we start to see the world change for the better. We start to see justice and love and unity come back to our land that's so divided over race and lifestyle and class. And, and the forces of evil are doing everything they can to divide us as a people. Yeah. July 16th is when we start to bring ourselves back together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So good, brother. Well, I cannot wait. Trying to get my dad there as well. Uh, I know it's going to be an absolutely amazing, amazing event. So friends, get to promisekeepersevent.org. Is that right? .org? Org, yeah. Get your tickets. Promisekeepersevent.com. It is .com. Promisekeepersevent.org. Dot com. Get your tickets. Ken, my brother, thank you so much for hopping on. I'd love to have you on again before the event takes place and uh, and hear more of what's coming. But uh, bless you, brother. I honor you. I'm praying that God would just continue to expand your tent pegs, your reach, your ability to share who you are and what you know to so, so many that need to hear it. So many men need to hear your story. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled, brother. I'm thrilled. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks, man. You are always the best.
Thanks, brother. Friends, get your tickets. Get over to promisekeepersevent.com and get your tickets. Women, get them for your son. Get them for your husband. Get them for your brothers. Uh, get them for your dad. Get these tickets and just tell them I'm sending you on a trip. Invest in a trip for your family, for your loved one. And I believe uh, that this event is going to be life-changing for them and it will send shockwaves of God's goodness through your family when you've got a man in your life that is in right right relation and connection to Papa God. So uh, friends, thank you so, so much. Please share this. If you're listening to the podcast, please send it out to 10, 15, 20 friends. Uh, and if you're listening on social media, please share it. And don't forget to get over to MyPillow.com and get yourself something nice or get something something nice for a family member and use that code BIGBOX. God bless you all. I'll see you all very, very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show.